This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mix in just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Pauly, and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 229 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Tracy? Yes, my love. This is going to be an extra fun episode. Okay, great. So obviously before we get into it, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you all for everything that you do. Yes, God bless you guys for watching over us and keeping us safe. Many prayers still come your way every night. We also want to make sure that we let everyone know that you are loved, you are wanted, and you are important to somebody, whether you realize it or not. Absolutely. You know, it's easy to get down on yourself. It's easy to think that you're not loved and you're not wanted. And, and trust me, that's your mind playing tricks on you. Yep. That's just mental illness doing its its dirty work, and it's lying to you. It's not the truth, and you just need to realize that. Uh, if you need to talk to someone, obviously you've got us you can speak to, or you can go into our group. 5,000 people in there that are just waiting to tell you that you're special. Absolutely. Never alone, guys. You're never alone. And, you know, of course, Jerry and I can give the numbers out to you. And if you need to call us, but if you would rather reach out um, to the hotline, the number is 800-273-8255. And then you can text if you'd like to do that at 741-741. Absolutely. As usual, this episode is brought to you by El Yucateco Hot Sauce. El Yucateco is the number one habanero-based hot sauce in the United States. Top 10 of all hot sauces. Hashtag king of flavor you can get it all of your major grocers especially target walmart they're two of the main ones if you don't see it you can go to lucateco.com use the special code hillbilly horror and you get 10 percent off of any merch you buy any hot sauce you buy you name it they've got it guess what i tried mine in this week what would that be i was in the mood for some tomato juice I could see that. Okay. And I, I just wanted to try to see if it would kick it up a little bit. And it was so good. Like, I've tried to do, like, V8 or something, but I cannot stand those spices in there. I don't know what it is about <laughs> that. I can't. I just can't. It tastes the same to me. V8, no. V8 and tomato juice taste oh, exactly no the same to me. No, 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 no. But I did. I put a bunch of dashes up in there, and it was good. Good. Add a little salt to my tomato. There you go. Juice. Man, it's good. Awesome. All right, let's get into this one. All righty. Tracy, in 228 episodes of Hillbilly Horror Stories before tonight, we have only had two episodes where we've told you a story of a haunted location. Yes. And then had a member of the family that went through the experience come on afterwards to tell us, in their own words, some of what happened. Mm-hmm. 
Now, those two stories were when we did The Conjuring, yes. followed by Andrea Perrin being on, and The Demon of Brownsville Road, followed by the interview with Bob Cranmer. Yes. Two of our listeners' most favorite episodes, based on comments and reviews and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Tonight's going to be the third. We're going to tell you the story of the Screaming House <laughs> in Union, Missouri, followed by an interview by Stephen Lachance. And Stephen does not do interviews anymore. This is a very rare deal. He pretty much retired. He's still an author. He retired. He moved to uh, Mexico mm -hmm. and uh, pretty much bugged him to the point where he said, okay, I'll do it. He said, get off my nuts. I'll do it. Pretty much. <laughs> so, and, and like I said, this is, this is actually one of, this is going to be one of my favorite stories that mm -hmm. we've ever done. And the more I researched it, the more I just thought, man, this is awesome. And yeah. I got to hear so many different interviews with Stephen. And as I told Stephen when I talked to him, the story that I'm giving you tonight isn't a bunch of hearsay. This is from Stephen's mouth. He's got several interviews out there, and I pretty much listened to as many as I possibly mm -hmm. could. And I put the story based on his own words. So it's going to be as close to his own words as very any story cool. we've ever and done. It's really very nice of him to do that, too. Very yes, nice. it was. So Stephen and his three children were tormented in their rental home at 809 North Christina Avenue in Union, Missouri, which is about 50 miles from St. Louis. Stephen then wrote a book on, the, on his family's experiences called The Uninvited, The True Story of the Union Screaming House. Like I was telling you, Stephen don't do many interviews, so we're lucky to be able to get him on that one. So we're going to tell you the story, and I'm going to try to be as thorough as I can. Now, the last two times I did this, I had a tendency to leave out one of the important aspects mm -hmm. just for the sake of asking the guest to elaborate yeah, on it. We did that one with this one, too. Stephen also wrote a book called A Confrontation with Evil. That book is an in-depth look at the 1949 exorcism that happened right there in St. Louis on Roland Doe which many of you will know that is the exorcism that the book and the movie The Exorcist was based off of. Oh, yeah. So that's that's pretty cool that he wrote that book. And then he's got some other books and stuff we'll talk about. But primarily, we're going to focus on this story. So this story was featured on A Haunting on the mm -hmm. Travel Channel, mm -hmm. which is my favorite paranormal show out there. I don't think anybody does as good a job as what they do. It was actually the first episode of season three, if anybody wants to go back and take a look at it. But I'm going to tell you that Stephen said in one of his interviews that the, the version that A Haunting did mm -hmm. was the Disney version of oh, what God. really happened to them. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so let's start. May of 2001, Union, Missouri. Stephen Chance is a single father of three people. His wife had pretty much abandoned him Aww. at that point. They had been living in this little cramped apartment for the better part of two years, and the lease was up. He had to find a new place ASAP, and he was afraid that if he didn't hurry up and find something, that his family was going to be homeless because their lease was up, they couldn't stay there, and they had nowhere else to go. Yeah. So he pretty much had looked at the uh, apartment listings in the paper, and he had applied for every apartment that he possibly could or a home that was adequate size for his family. All right. Finally, he caught a break, and he got a call one night from this woman, and she said that she had this large house for rent. 
The house was older, but in very good shape, and it was only $600 a month. So the price was amazing. It fit right in his budget, Mm -hmm. and it was a big house, so it had plenty of room for him. So they were invited to come check the home out on a Sunday, first upcoming Sunday. It was like an open house type situation. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't going to be just them. It was going to be several people. So Stephen came to the open house with his daughter, and he was very surprised at how big the house actually was. They were greeted by the smell of fresh baked cookies upon entering the home. That's, That's always nice. a good yeah. The living room had cherubs Ooh, all wow. around the room at the top of the walls. Oh, how so, beautiful. Got your little angel work going on there. All of the woodwork looked to be original. It was a two-story home with three bedrooms, a large kitchen, and a nice-sized yard. So this was all so awesome compared to what they'd been living in, a little imagine. cramped apartment that only had a little balcony. That was the only outside they had. The basement had a fruit cellar and a butcher's shower. What's that? What's that? A butcher's shower is like, apparently they had used that at one point in time for slaughtering meat or something like that. Ew. So then that way, when they were done, they could just hop in the shower and rinse the blood and stuff off of them. Like maybe they were deer dressing yeah. or something like that. Oh, well, that's gross. <laughs> but this was definitely the house that they wanted. It was so much more house than they ever thought they could even get for the price. So they filled out the application. Unfortunately, so did several other people. So when Stephen gave the owner the application, she said, you understand the responsibility that comes with living in an old house such as this. And Stephen said, yeah, he completely understood. Mm -hmm. He said that the woman was a little strange and she showed uh, the house more like it was a museum tour rather than a woman trying to rent the house. He said a week later, the owner actually called Stephen to inform him that out of all the applicants, she had chosen his family to become the new tenants. They were ecstatic. They would meet at a restaurant, though, to finalize the agreement and to get the initial payment. And Stephen thought this was a little strange, to mm-hmm. say the least, but he was also a little disappointed because they wanted to go back and see the house now that they now they know it's theirs. Yeah. They kind of want to go back and check it out. But, you know... He wasn't going to argue with it. She wants to meet at a restaurant. He figures she probably had her reasons. So regardless, they were set to move in on Memorial Day weekend, 2001. The move went very well. But as Stephen was getting the last few items out of the uh, U-Haul, he said a car kind of started coming towards him, and it slowed down, rolled the window down, and somebody yelled out, Hope you get along okay here. And then they rolled the window up, sped up, and drove off. Oh, great. So Stephen, his daughter, and two sons were officially in their new home. And by the way, uh, their kids, you've got Eliza, who was 13. You've got Eli, who was 12, and Elliot, who was 11 years old at the time. Mm -hmm. So that's his three kids. I should probably mention that at the beginning. Anyway, so they're all in the house. The first incident happened within just a few days of of moving in. So Stephen was hanging this large picture of two angels. And the picture was his daughter's idea. She thought it would go good with all the cherubs Mm -hmm. that were in there. He hung the picture. And he said as soon as he turned around, the picture fell. That happens, especially with me hanging pictures. (laughs) He rehung the picture and heard a loud crash as soon as he turned around. Well, three times a charm, he figured. So he hangs it the third time. He starts to walk away, and he could feel the rush of the air kind of hit him from the weight of the picture falling. 
and then he could feel something smack the back of his ankles. There was the picture laying again at the bottom of his feet. It's supposed to be a hell of a frame, I'll say that. No doubt. If it, it doesn't fell, bust. If it doesn't fell three times and hadn't busted, that's the kind of frames we need. Yeah. So that was the first incident. He ended up getting to stay, but it took four times. That was the first incident. But it wasn't the first odd thing that Stephen had noticed. On the first morning in the house, Stephen noticed that each of the house's interior doors had the old-fashioned hook and eyelash type locks on them. Oh, you know okay, what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, that's not odd in general, but their placement was. You see, these were all on the outside of the doors, not on the inside. Oh, well, that's a little weird. It was as if it was meant to keep something in yeah, the room. yeah. Not out. So the next peculiar thing to happen was his daughter, Eliza, called for him to come out on the front porch. All the kids were out on the front porch. So he comes out there, and, and she says, watch. And he, he before he could even ask her what he was watching for, there was an old man that was walking up the sidewalk towards their house. And then he stopped before he got to their house and crossed the street and crossed on that side and then crossed back over once he had passed their house. Oh, gosh. And well, that's scary. Stephen said he spent about three hours out there one day in a chair just watching, and everybody <gasps> that came did the exact same thing. Stop. Nobody would cross in front of their house. Oh, my gosh. How cool are you? That's crazy. Stephen's daughter, Eliza, said, They don't like walking in front of our house, Dad. Isn't that weird? So... Yeah, that's uh, a little on the strange side. <laughs> so Stephen tried uh, to use some kind of rationality on it, and he was thinking, you know, maybe they just aren't comfortable with, with the new neighbors. Mm -hmm. So the following Sunday, the family, believe it or not, was excited to do yard work. They hadn't had a yard. Yeah, oh, yeah. So they're going to have to do some yard work. And like I said, it wouldn't excite most people, but in their situation, I can, I can understand it. They went ahead and mowed the grass. They raked the lawn, that type of stuff. One thing that Stephen noticed is there was a, an abundance of fallen leaves in the yard for the time of year. Because remember, this was in May, mm -hmm. Memorial Day weekend. Right. So it's not fall yet, but he said it seemed like the tree had lost almost all of his leaves already. So they had an extra uh, abundance of leaves to rake up. And he thought it was strange. And he said, you know, it would be something that he was going to ask his landlord about next time he talked to him. If that was normal because none of the other trees seem to be lose, losing their leaves like that. <laughs> so at this time, he sends his, his uh, youngest son, Elliot, into the house to go to the basement to get the garden hose. A few minutes later, he hears screaming coming from inside the house. Stephen runs into the house to find his son, Elliot, shaking like a leaf, standing in a puddle of his own urine in the kitchen. Oh, my gosh. When asked what happened, he said that something chased him up the basement steps. And when he asked what chased him, he responded with, I don't know, Daddy, but it was big. Stephen and his other two kids went to check out the basement and only found the garden hose that Elliot had dropped amongst his uh, hastily escape up to the steps. Stephen got Elliot all cleaned up and he tried to comfort him. Naturally, the other kids, doing what kids do, uh, kind of poked fun about him, the basement monster and all mm -hmm. that to him, you know. Yeah. Stephen quickly 
nip that stuff in the bud. He wasn't going to have the kids making fun of, you know, new house and all this stuff. He wanted everybody to feel comfortable. So the next few days were fairly normal. The next week, though, was the last week of school for the kids before summer break. Every day of that week, the family would leave the house only to return home and have every light in the house left on. Stephen immediately blamed the kids. Mm -hmm. I would have blamed Trace Atkins. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Now, on that Friday, he was very frustrated because four straight nights these lights were left on. He he sent the boys out to the car, and him and Eliza, they uh, went through the whole house, and they made sure every single light was turned off. But when they returned home, all of the lights were on again. Now, Stephen was a little bit shaken by this. So he hurriedly went in and checked the house in case there was maybe an intruder or something. Right. That's the only thing he could think of. I mean, how else would all those lights be left on when they had made sure they were turned off? He calls the landlord to say, hey, is by any chance did you come over to the house while we weren't here mm-hmm. and she's like well no I, that would be against the law I, I can't come over and he said well you're, yeah I just I'm just trying to cover all my options because mm-hmm. there wasn't anybody here and I'm just trying to see what's going on well about the time he hangs up the phone he hears Eliza in the other room say daddy it's cold in here now this couldn't be after all Stephen had just got through in a panic but he had sweat on the brow of his head it was running down his back and and she's in there talking about it's cold yeah so he gets to the living room and he said it was about a 30 degree drop in the temperature as soon as he entered that room whoa that was the first time that steven actually felt the presence he said he felt like an electrical current passed straight through his body he said it brought tears to his eyes and it gave him goosebumps on his arms steven says he remembers it passing quickly he thinks that, uh, he remembers thinking like, what the hell was that? Mm-hmm. Right after that surge of energy passed through Stephen, he noticed that the temperature started to rise in the room. He said he could actually watch the thermostat and see it steadily going up. Damn, that would make me mad. <laughs> Get my electric bill all up in there. <laughs> that Sunday night, the family was in the living room talking, and Stephen was leaving the next morning to go on a a business trip to Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. So they were working out the details on where the children were going to be staying with their grandma and all this Mm -hmm. stuff and getting all all their affairs in order. Stephen was facing the kitchen, and the children were all facing Stephen. So they had their backs to the kitchen, okay? Mm -hmm. That's when it happened. Stephen noticed something out of the corner of his eyes. Something was moving. What he saw next still haunts him to this day. He said it was a dark figure of a man standing in the kitchen doorway. It was solid, but it seemed to be made up of like a moving and churning dark gray or black smoker mist. So picture you've got an outline, Mm -hmm. but inside is dark, but it almost seems like whatever it's made up is moving, circular or churning or something like that. Pretty crazy. He thought his eyes might have been playing tricks on him or something like that so he looked down and after a few seconds he looked back up and the thing you know would still be there even though he thought it was the same thing no it was yeah it was still there and then it began to move it went into the family room it stopped in the middle of the room 
and it just stood there for a few minutes. Then it dissipated into thin air. Stephen knew at that moment that he had two choices. He could either run out of the house screaming like a crazy person that you would see in these movies or something, or he could compose himself and just leave quietly and figure out what to do next as he's on his way over to his mom's house to drop Mm -hmm. the kids off. He said his hands were shaking uncontrollably. He stood upon his wobbly legs and calmly said, let's go get a soda and see grandma. Stephen grabbed his keys from the coffee table. They walked out the front door and as Stephen turned to lock the door, a loud, painful scream of a man came from within the house. (laughs) It was so loud you could hear it through the entire neighborhood and dogs began to bark. Stephen yelled at the kids to get in the car. They run to the car and they drive to Stephen's mom's house. He said that the trip to his mom's house was a complete blur. He was in a panic and he just wanted to get the kids away from that house as quick as possible. Man. Guess he wouldn't come after that, huh? No. (laughs) What he does remember is after getting in the car, his son Elliot saying, Daddy, the basement monster is standing in the upstairs window. Stop. Crap. Stephen looks back and indeed there was the entity that he had just seen earlier in the upstairs window. The family stayed with Stephen's mom that night. And early the next morning, Stephen left for his week-long trip to Indianapolis. So by the time he picked up the kids, he had already had plenty of time to kind of rationalize what was going on and to kind of deal with with his reality. Reality was that they had sunk all of their money into this house and they had no choice but Mm. to stay. So they returned to the house on Friday. And the weekend saw pretty much no incidents. Everything was straight. On Saturday, the family checked out the shed that was on the property, and they found a bunch of personal belongings that belonged to apparently some previous tenants. Mm -hmm. Stephen's parents suggested that he talk to the owner of the house to get some answers. So Stephen said that it was one of the strangest and awkward phone calls of his life. After several attempts to reach her, Steve finally got a hold of the the owner, and then he asked her if any of the previous tenants ever mentioned ghosts. Mm -hmm. She initially said that she could not remember, but then she said that one female tenant claimed that her dead father came to visit, but she always felt like she was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) She went on to say that some of the stuff in the shed was hers, but she could never get her to come pick it up. But also, there was a man who lived there at one point, and he abruptly left in the middle of the night, and he never came back to get any of his belongings. (laughs) He left everything at the house. But no, none of them ever mentioned the place being haunted. (laughs) (laughs) So Stephen asked how long ago these people had lived there, and she said maybe just a little over a year. So it hadn't been that long ago. The phone call was not much help, and it definitely didn't calm Stephen's fears any. After having no occurrences, though, over the weekend, Stephen had actually convinced himself that maybe this was just a one-time thing. But Monday night, that all changed. Stephen was on the phone with his mother. The kids, to the best of his knowledge, were playing in his first-floor bedroom. So while he's on the phone with his mother, Stephen could hear the interior doors start to rattle. He yells into the other room for the kids to quiet down and quit playing games. Now the door rattles even harder. He again 
yells in there for the kids to stop playing. Now it happens a third time. This time, though, it was even harder. Before he could even yell again, his daughter yells in there that it's not them. She's reading and her brothers are both asleep. Tracy, are you ready for this? I don't know. I'm pretty pretty scared. About the same time that Stephen heard his daughter's voice, the temperature in the room dropped by about 30 degrees. Dang. Then the electrical charge began running through Stephen again. Remember we talked about it yeah. earlier? It ran through his body again. Then there was a horrible stench that entered the room about the same time. He couldn't even describe the smell. It was so bad. That's when the screaming started. It started softly and got a little bit louder, a little bit louder. Stephen yelled into his phone for his mom to come help, that they were getting out. Then the whole house began to shake and come alive. He could hear something very large coming down the steps. Then the scream of a man over and over was filling the house. Eliza screamed, Daddy, what's happening? Stephen quickly remembers that one of his bedroom doors connects to the stairway where he heard something large coming down. So he makes a run. He takes off running towards the bedroom as the floor is shaking beneath his feet. He felt something behind him, but he didn't have time to even turn around to even see what was going on. Now there was a new scream mixing in with the scream of this man. It was the scream of a child. So you got two screams blending together. He makes it to the bedroom door, but it wouldn't open. By this time, the screaming is so loud that Stephen now is starting to scream himself. Mm -hmm. He's in a panic. And... He's frantically throwing himself against the door again and again, trying to bust it open. And finally, he throws all of his weight into the door. The door busts open. Eliza's standing there in shock. Steve tells uh, his son Eli to grab his, his younger brother and to run out the front door and go to the car. The screams in the house intensify. Eliza won't move. She's, she's just stuck right there. Stephen Stephen has to slap her to get her even back into reality to get her to move. Stephen grabs his daughter. They head for the door. He hears the other bedroom door slam open behind them. Stephen didn't know what this thing was, but whatever it was, it was on their trail. The whole house was shaking and filled with screams. So they get to the front door and out onto the porch. They slam the front door behind them. And as they get into the car... They could still hear the noise coming from the house. They drove to the top of the street where they could see the house, but also waiting for Stephen's parents to get there. Oh, yeah, because they were on their way. Right. Stephen said that he could see that black entity searching throughout the whole house. He could see him in the windows. He watched as this entity went from room to room, window to window, searching specifically for them in the house. (laughs) I'm surprised they even went back. Yeah, that was the that was the family's last night in the house. They they lasted a full thirteen days, from the time they moved in to the time they moved out was thirteen days. So I guess they went to live with his mom. Well, I know he went to his mom's that night, and then uh, Stephen returned a few times to get some items, but he never came back alone, and the children never went back to the house. Now everybody who's who's ever been brought to the house by Stephen has witnessed something. Some have witnessed screams, some have uh, 
heard whispers pounding from the floor above. And as Stephen turned in the key to the landlord, she said, well, some people are meant to live in a, an old house like that, and some aren't. And she said, I never really took you as somebody who was the type that could live in a house like that. Well, then why in the world he picked, she picked them? I don't know. I don't know. How's he get out of that contract? I don't know. <laughs> so about a month after moving out, a friend called Stephen and told him that he needed to do an internet search of a gentleman by the name of John T. Crow. He was uh, in Union, Missouri. Just mm-hmm. put in that in the search engine and see what comes up. Well, Stephen did that. And he saw the picture of John Thomas Crow. And he said, I know that face. Stephen's brother had taken a picture in the fruit cellar as they were, you know, moving out, grabbing all their boxes to move out. And that man's picture showed up in the picture that, or his face showed up in the picture that Stephen's brother took. Oh, wow. So it wasn't down there at the time, but when they looked at the picture after it was developed, Mm -hmm. there was that guy's face. That's actually one of the things that we're going to discuss in Stephen's interview. He's going to tell you a little bit about John T. Crow and, and where all that comes into play. With this land. There's a lot of stuff that happened on this land going all the way back to the Civil War. And and he talks about it in detail in the interview that we did. Stephen said that in 2016, a friend saw cop cars racing up to the house one night and a family running out the front door in their night clothes. (laughs) Now, I asked Stephen about this and he said he wasn't really sure what was going on with the house these days because he's kind of far away from it and he kind of wants to distance himself from it. But I had, uh, one of the things I saw said in 2017, they turned it into a dog kennel. I don't know if that's still the case today or if that was accurate, but I did see that. The whole entire house is a dog kennel? That's what I was told, or at least in the interview I did. Can you imagine? That's probably freaking those dogs out. Well, and you know, that's probably pretty accurate because if there are spirits and stuff in the house... You know, but we're going to find out a lot more about the house when we do this interview. You're you're going to love uh, what he's got to say about the land and some other stuff. And uh, I asked him, uh, the youngest son, the the one that had the situation with the water hose, he also had an encounter with like this really crazy clown. Oh, crap. And um, we'll, we'll talk after the interview. We'll talk a little more about that clown situation because it's it's. There, there's a really messed up part of the story that I didn't bring up in the interview and I could, it's kind of strange because I, I just knew not to bring it up, mm-hmm. even though it's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we talked around the subject. He even mentions that he didn't want to talk about the particular subject because it was, it's uh it's really a sad story. Well, we'll talk about it after the interview. Okay. Tracy, let's take a quick break for our sponsor and then we'll uh, do some housekeeping and then we'll listen to the interview from Stephen Lachance. You're not going to want to miss this one. All right, Tracy, I just want to do a quick reminder that if you're looking for a Christmas gift, we have Christmas shirts and all of our other shirts that they're on sale right now at uh, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Just go to our stores. You can get that. You can also get a personalized copy of the book mm-hmm. and have that sent to your house before Christmas. And I do realize that uh, I didn't until the other day, but the PayPal code was not working on there for probably about a week, week and a half. Uh, but that's been fixed. Oh, okay. So go Good. there to get your book. Tracy, what do you got for us as far as iTunes reviews? All right. This week we have Ashley from Nebraska. Thank you for your sweet review, honey. 
Ryan of Mon Valley, Karen Scholl, and Mojo Lobster. You guys rock, rock, rock. Thank you for your kind words. We appreciate it more than you ever know. And no, we do still do not know who Mojo Lobster is. <laughs> we want to see your face. This week we didn't have any new Patreon supporters, but uh, we will use this opportunity to let you know that you can get ad-free just for a dollar a month ad-free episodes if you're a dollar a month Patreon supporter and you get uh, a few little bonus episodes a month and then we have several other tiers. Check us out on Patreon.com. Absolutely. Tracy, you ready to hear this interview from Stephen Lachance? I am ready. Now, I'm going to tell you ahead of time, the audio on Stephen's end is not the greatest in the world, but as he will tell you, he is literally calling from a jungle in Mexico. Yep. That's not an exaggeration. <laughs> and uh, But it's still it's still pretty good, so you, you won't have any problem understanding it, but it is a, a little different uh, quality-wise than some other ones, but trust me, it makes up for it for the content. So let's give Stephen Lachance a listen. Guys, I'm super excited to bring you this next guest. Stephen Lachance is an author, uh, used to be a paranormal investigator, amongst other things, and he is completely fascinating. We just told you the story about the Union House and his, based on his book, The Uninvited. Stephen rarely gives interviews these days, so I'm excited to have him on. Stephen, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. Stephen, right before you came on, the people heard me tell the story of what happened in the Union House. And in order to put the story together, I listened to several hours of interviews that you did on the subject. So I pretty much used your words to keep this as true as possible to the actual story that went on. So I'm not going to ask you to repeat uh, or rehash the total events that went on at the Union House. What I want to do is basically ask some questions that I didn't really hear the answers to that I think some of our listeners would have based on the story that I told. Are you good with that? Sure. That's great. I don't mind at all. So my first question, Steve, is in the Union House, there was a butcher shower that was down in the basement area, cellar area, whatever the case may be. What do you think that had to do with the haunting or the possession of the house, however you want to put it. Well, you know, the butcher shower came into play because I, I kept having a, a reoccurring nightmare about it where someone was, uh, it was a man standing in the butcher shower with, was taking a shower and he was washing off blood. And he was really earnest about it. And at one point he looks at me and his eyes were red, but that nightmare happened every single day. That was right after moving. Again, the first time I had it was in the house, and then it's happened every night for a matter of years, actually. So that's where that came in, and I could never tell you exactly why or what it, it concerned, but it was definitely a part of it. As a matter of fact, one of the investigators, a famous psychic, actually, she as uh, the psychic for the Lev Mansion in St. Louis, Betsy Belanger. She went into the that area down there. I that didn't say anything to her about the butcher shower at that point. She had a, a, a quite an experience. You, you kind of see that when you uh, watch the show that they did a haunting on the Discovery Channel. You see her go down and, and go through that. But the butcher shower, that's where why the significance of that. And I think it fascinates people because they're like, well, Here's this thing you're having this nightmare about. Do you think it was part of it? I will tell you what, when the house began to scream at 
mean, it was a man screaming. That scream came down from that area. So there you go. Stephen, and the other two times where I've actually told the story and then brought on the guest that lived through that horrifying experience, I've left out part of the story purposely just to get your take on what happened. And what I didn't tell in the story that the listeners have already heard was about your youngest son, Elliot, had a situation where he ran into a clown-type figure and I wanted to get your version of what happened at that time. Yeah, he had to go to the bathroom. And this was, you know, we were, I was still a little bit the boogeyman, you know, the monster in the closet, the monster under the bed, the monster in the basement, you know, what a normal parent does. But I, he said he had to go to the bathroom, and I told him I said, go to the bathroom. Well, he left the door open because he was afraid, uh, <laughs> which is fine. I hear him screaming, and this wasn't unusual. I would find him, uh, whatever it was, was paralyzing. And I would find him, and he said that um, the clown figure came down this came down the stairs after him. His description of it is really interesting. It comes out of a, a mist, which, by the way, when you would see stuff in this house, this, this gauzy mist would appear. And you could usually tell something was coming, and he described that. I, and I really didn't know what to think about it. The kid was afraid of clowns when he was younger. I knew he had seen something and it terrorized him. And it was years later, I was sitting down with my good friend John Zappas and we were talking about it. And he said, you know, Stephen, he goes, kids will describe something that they understand in their realm of reason. So for Elliot to see this in John, said demon, for Elliot to see this demon, what he was describing was the best thing he could describe about it. And it, it looked clown-like to it. And I thought about that, and I think that's pretty interesting. Have you ever seen the, uh, one of the movies, uh, what is that one, with the, the red figure that comes out from behind the gut? That's a demon. And, and I think that was his case. He saw something along, maybe some lines like that, and he was trying to describe it. It made sense to me, though, that... It was something within his reasoning that he was giving a definition to. It's funny you mention that because I do agree. I think the kids are going to describe something in a way that they can relate to a little more. And the other thing, though, is, and I'm going to post these uh, this video that you've got of interviews from people that were involved with the case. I was going to suggest you do that, by the way, because Elliot talked about it. He does, but not only that, but Teresa Reby, who's one of the investigators, man, uh, she had a heart-wrenching story where she also describes a clown, and uh, we won't get into the story, obviously. that's uh, It's in the video. We'll let people watch it, but probably not something we need to touch on right now. Those situations happened several years apart, by the way. The Elliot situation was in 2001. Teresa's was probably... 2005, 2006. She, she does. She, she swears it's a clown from as long as I have known her and as long as this has happened, she, she says it was clown-like. Um, it was a clown. And the interesting thing about it, and I won't get too much on that. Uh, it's, it's hard to talk about. Sure. One. And uh, yeah, I don't want to draw that pick up but I, yeah go ahead and post the, the interview with her because I think it's very interesting what she went through 
Um, she's doing good though today. All of them are doing well. Good, good. Stephen, from the time you moved in to the time you left, you were in the house approximately 13 days. Your kids saw a lot during that time. You saw a lot during that time. What would you say the effects were on you and your children mentally after going through this ordeal? There's, well, there's a lot. There's a lot to it. There's, you know, it did follow us. So uh, we had years of things. I think in different ways it affected the children. I think, you know, Eli, Eli is my chemist. He's a chemist now. Um, so he's very scientific. So he looks for scientific reasons for why we went through whatever we went through. My daughter, who is now, uh, she's a stay-at-home mom. She teaches her kids at home, homeschool. She um, is, he, he deals with it more from a very religious point of view. I think Elliot it's, is more like me, where it's a little combination of all of it. You know, they've gone through um, a lot. And through the years, I think they've done very, very well. Elliot's a restaurant. Eli's a chemist, Eliza's a mother, and they, they managed to get through it. But there were times when, in the early years, where the security was kind of ripped out from underneath them, and for me too, as, as a matter of fact. But it, it took a while to build up that everything's going to be all right again. One of the more fascinating topics that we didn't touch on in the story that I told earlier were the findings of the Catholic Church on the house. Can you uh, elaborate on that a little bit for me? 156 page report, by the way, which is very unusual. The church doesn't usually do that. I think it took the church a while to get to, to help. And I think it, the report, it was more of their explanation and it, was, it seemed more like an apology for not getting to us soon enough. They're fighting for the demonic oppression well, infestation, oppression, obsession, and possession. That's pretty strong words coming from the Catholic Church, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it freaks you out. I, I remember when I, the report came to me. It was weird, too, because I was living in Myrtle Beach, and I got a knock on the door, and it was the day before Thanksgiving, so we were getting ready for Thanksgiving, and the FedEx guy handed me this thing, and it was, it was the report. And... Um, I talked um, to the exorcist and everything surrounding it, who handled it and everything since then. Um, but it was interesting. It was interesting. And I remember calling my mom and saying, you know, because I sat down and I couldn't put it down. I read the whole 156 pages. And, you know, this, this feeling of you are reading this about yourself. And they, the church doesn't play games. Uh, when, they, when, they, when you make a mistake, uh, in handling something, they'll let you know that you made a mistake handling something. Um, when you done, when you did something that they didn't think was right, they'll let you know you did something. You know, so it's hard to read. It's a hard thing to read. It's frightening. And but the the, the priest that read the exorcist that wrote the report was really interesting because he would preface everything with, "I need you to stand back from yourself right now." And when I when he would say those words in the report, I knew that going to be something tough coming up. Yeah, so it was interesting. Um, they think that it started before the house. The house itself was uh, a haunted house. It had a haunting going on, uh, the land itself. However, 
they think that some of the stuff that was going on was started earlier with the desertion. My wife deserted me and my three kids. And they think that she had something, um, she was messing in some kind of a cult uh, is what they came up with. And I, and I kind of believe that's right because uh, the last night that I spent with her uh, at, at our house, the kids were already at my mom's, she had, there was a, well, I don't know, I know how to explain it. Um, there was a python put into the couch, and um, I found it uh, before I left the house, and that was the last night of my married life to her. Oh, wow. And that wasn't at this house, though, right? Or was it? No, that was a different house. But I would find her in the middle of the night um, screaming and pulling hands full of hair out of her um, head. And, you know, the, the church knew all of this. This is actually, you know what, I don't think I've ever talked very publicly about this part of it. But, yeah, they felt that it was something, she did something to us um, to begin with, is what they felt. They Not that it was, you know, they felt that she might have been the one that was originally under possession. Now, keep in mind, um, she's doing better today. Good. Um, keep in mind that when you talk about possession, these things are kind of parasitical. I mean, they're like a parasite. They go from one person to another to another. And they follow. You know, they kind of spider out. Tim Yancey, a good friend of mine, even, I used to talk about that, how they would spider out to different people. And I think it's, it originated with her and it kind of spidered out to, the, to, the, to me and the kids. And then when we got to... The Union House, it was like, you know, it was like a bomb going off. In 2008, you wrote The Uninvited, the true story of the Union Scream House. But then in 2014, you wrote Blessed Are the Wicked. Now, that is a sequel to the first book and talks about what happened afterwards. Tell me a little bit about why you wrote that book and what you found out about the land that the house is actually on. Okay, well, first let's start with why I wrote it. The, the thing that got me was most people believe that these hauntings would, you know, you close the, the book, you know, the uninvited, the hunting was over, and it wasn't. There was a lot of things that go on with people. I wrote Blessed Are the Wicked for a couple things. First of all, it was for myself. Second of all, it was for investigators that actually deal with these sort of hauntings. Because I think from, I could offer a really interesting perspective being that I had been through this thing and and how to deal with people when you're helping them and to understand the aftershocks that happened. And by the way, I, the book was going to be called Aftershocks. And it's funny that later Zed Grand has decided to call it show that. But um, <laughs> we decided to call it Blessed for the Wicked for a lot of other reasons. But yeah, it's the aftershocks of it all. And the books are very different in that way because one is before and one is after. And there's a different emotional content to both of them. And he tries to explain. And what we had found out, and it really was one of the main reasons I wrote the book, is because the family of the people that owned the land in Union, Missouri, came forward. The family went back to the Civil War. With you guys can look him up. It's, his name was John T. Crow. And this family came forward and they told me the story of what had happened there. And it was horrific in the sense that 
his wife, he was away, his wife had an affair with. At that point, um, it would have been considered uh, a farmhand, but it was a slave, really. I mean, even after the Civil War. And she became pregnant. And when she had the baby, and he realized it wasn't his. First of all, he had the doctor kill her. He, he, he had puncture her lungs, so she basically died of a pneumonia sort of thing. And then he went out and he lined up, because she wouldn't tell him which, which of the, the slaves it was. And he lined them all up outside and he shot all of them. And then he came back in and he, took, he, he killed the baby and he hung the baby in a tree. And the reason he hung the baby in the tree is he did it because he wanted people to know that they should never um, cross him again. Mm. There you go. And, you know, that, he, that kind of, and he was messing with some voodoo in there, too, that gets into that, um, with, with one of his slaves as well. But um, there's the story, and it's what happened. And it's, it was kind of shocking. And if you think about that, so you have some people, me and the kid, when we talk about the kids and I, that are already susceptible to this sort of thing um, because of what was going on with whatever she did and what happened there. And then you get to this house, to this land, to this place where um, you had witchcraft going on in such uh, a horrible event. And it really was like the match that just lit the gasoline. I mean, it just, everything combusted at once. It was the wrong place, the wrong time, the wrong situation, and everything together. Does that make sense? 100%. Also, right across the street, there was like, uh, um, that was a murder over there too, right? Oh, yeah. The, the murder house. Yeah. The, the woman killed her husband. She, she chopped him up. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. That, yeah. I, <laughs> you go into this place, and I can't describe it to you. Anybody, if you do some research into it, guys, and, and, and see people from there, people always talk about when they go to this particular part of that town, it, it's heavy. It, there's a heaviness to it. And a lot of not nice things happen. And in this one little area, and it's just one of those cluster-type haunting places. I don't know what else to call it. Stephen, your next book was Confrontation with Evil, and it was based on the 1949 Roland Doe exorcism, which, of course, was the famous exorcism that the movie and the book The Exorcist was based off of. How did, how did you get involved with writing a book on that particular subject. So I was living when I when I decided to write the book. I was actually living in St. Louis at that point. I was living well. Interesting enough, I bought a house in St. And in the house, when the real estate agent took me to the house for the first time, it was kind of funny because the house looked like the Amityville. And and I said to her, I said, well, the house looks like the Amityville. You got me in the neighborhood where the exorcism of Rolando happened. I'm like, are you trying? <laughs> are you trying? Are you trying to hurt me? What? She's like, no, it's the perfect house. Well, the house was great. The house was great. The neighborhood, um, I, so I went for a walk one day, and I walked up the street, and there was the Catholic Church. Now, I mean, I lived in the neighborhood of this hospital, too. And the, the, the Catholic Church at the top of the street, 
there was a courtyard, and there's a statue of St. Anthony in the courtyard holding a baby, and he's missing his head. No head. Nice. And I thought, and I remembered, I remembered uh, Vladdy's uh, Legion. If you read Legion, uh, you will find out that a lot of the statues were always missing their head. But, and you guys, matter of fact, you see the, the, the film, The Exorcist 3, there is. So I went back home, and I sat down, and I'm sitting on the front steps, and I went, you know, something's telling me this is the story I should be telling, because I had been early on researching the case, because I was trying to find answers for myself, and I had been taken to some of the locations kind of mysteriously, and I can't get into too much about that, guys, because uh, the Travel Channel's got a show coming out on it. Um, it's going to be one of the shock docs coming out. Oh, cool. So uh, you'll be able to see that in it'll describe because I actually was able to stumble into answers to many of the questions about Rolando, the exorcism, and what happened. So that's why I wrote the book. But uh, the interesting, I'll tell you a funny story. The, the first day I started writing the book, I'm in my house, and my, my son, Elliot's dog, was there. And I'm writing the book, and I'm listening to Ave Maria, because I listen to music when I write. Um, I try to fit the mood. And I hear walking going back and forth upstairs. I go, look upstairs, there's nobody there. The dog keeps walking over the stairs, looking up the stairs. And she'll walk over, and she'll look up the stairs. And this keeps going on, and I'm like, dude, it's giving me the creeps. You know, and I can kind of hear these um, footsteps, and all of a sudden there's a, a loud knock on the front door. And I went to the front door. Now, I am writing the first chapter of Confrontation with Evil. And I walked to the door, and I opened the door, and there's, there's two guys in white shirts, and they go, do you have Jesus Christ in your life? <laughs> I looked at them. I looked at them. I said, you've got to be kidding me. And I slammed the door actually in their face. Didn't need to, but I was in shock. I went, and I, I called my editor and, 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 and my manager and stuff and said, I'm writing the right book. <laughs> That's funny. So true story. <laughs> Stephen, when you moved into the Union House, you were pretty much a non-believer, and then all of that stuff happens. How would you say that's changed your life? Well, I didn't give it much thought. <laughs> I mean, my thing was, I here I am, the single father. I'm trying to survive raising three kids. Honest, there was no time for anything else but that. So it really wasn't something I gave much thought to, but. It really has it opened up a whole new world for me, a whole new avenues, and I realized in some ways that this has been around me all along, and I didn't know it. You know, we still have things happen. Even we live in Mexico now. We live in Playa part of Mexico, and even in this brand new house that I built here, there's still stuff that happens here on occasion. So um, I think it's opened opened up different avenues. I became a lot more open minded. It may be more spiritual, not religion. I'm spiritual. And there's a difference. I, I think when you really have lived through something like this, your spirituality changes and you back away from the religious aspect and go more into the spiritual aspect of it. Does that make sense? No, that, that's a lot more the way I am, to be honest with you. I would describe myself more spiritual than I would religious. Right. It, it, it becomes different because the questions that are put in front of you are stuff that you're not going to find in the books. I remember there was a, a minister, and this is in the middle of all of it, 
I was in a church, in our, our, I was in our church, actually, my dad's president, and the minister was talking about he didn't believe in ghosts and stuff like that. And I, I told him, I said, you know what, that makes you a hypocrite. I'm like, you stand up on the pulpit day after day, Sunday after Sunday, and you tell us about the Holy Ghost, you tell us about Jesus um, chasing the demons out of, you know, uh, the, the pigs and, and, you know, all of this stuff. And I'm like, that makes you a huge hypocrite, actually, um, for you to say that you don't believe. Because if you don't believe in ghosts, then how do you believe in the Holy Ghost? You know, I've said that I don't know how many times before without using the hypocrite word. But, you know, to me, to for someone that believes in God and all the angels and everything, that's like the ultimate paranormal story. And I, I've always found it odd that people could separate the two. I know. The, yeah, the hypocrite word comes out and it's strong. But in the case of, you know, you got to remember at the same time of what I was living through. Well, absolutely. You know? <laughs> like, it was strong to say that. But you also got to remember I was being chased by demons at the moment. So. Stephen, last question before we get into what you've got going on today. Do you have any idea what's going on with the demon house as far as like today? I'm so far away from it, I don't. Um, uh, last I knew there was a family that was supposedly living there that was the first family in a very long time that did well. Um, but I've been gone and I haven't looked back and I'm not going to actually. Okay. I, I, I think I think it's a best one of those things. The disconnection between me and there is probably a good idea. Stephen, tell everybody how they can keep up with all the new stuff that Stephen LaChance has going on. Well, it's, I mean, hi, guys. I, I live in, well, I live in, I live in the jungle now. I live in Playa Carmen, Mexico, and I don't, I'm literally talking to you from the jungle at the moment. As a matter of fact, when you wake up in the morning, you can hear the monkey screeching. Nice. So, yeah, so, I, 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 I'm riding, you, you know, you can check out stevenlechance.com. Uh, Blessed Are the Wicked is going through a rewrite right now because I wanted to do a special edition on it. Um, Black Pope will be coming out. There's some other things I'm working on. But uh, the television show for the Travel Channel, which I actually filmed here in Playa del Carmen, they came here to film it for me. Will be, they, the date is, they were going to do it Halloween, then they decided, they saw it and decided that it was so wonderful they wanted to make it a big event. So... We don't know yet, but when it comes, everybody will know that. That's pretty exciting as well. So that's me. I'm pretty much retired. <laughs> I'm doing what I want to do. Pretty much happy, living a good life. But stevenlechance.com, you can catch up with anything there. Again, thank you so much for granting us this interview. I know you don't do them very often, and it was a big thrill for me. I love the story, and I thought it was the perfect ending uh, to us telling the story. It was doing the interview with you about the place. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And I don't. I don't. I don't do too many. It's like um, it's, sometimes it's, I, I appreciate you not having me have to dredge up too much of it. So I appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Thank you, my friend. All right. So I feel like it's almost an exclusive because he said he has not really publicly talked about this, but his wife they believe was doing some type of an occult type stuff mm -hmm. before she left. And she left a pipe bomb in the couch that they found. Wow. 
That's unbelievable. I mean, incredible. And then on top of that, you know, like I said, we didn't mention in the story originally about the Catholic Church's involvement, but he said it was 156 pages, I think, uh, demonically, uh, demonic oppression and suppression and possession, all from the Catholic Church. So, I mean, this house was the real deal. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'm glad I was not a part of that. Sounds horrifying. Now, the young lady that, that we were talking about, Teresa... Uh, so let's talk, let's talk a little bit about John Crow. He mentioned the story about him killing the baby and then hanging it from the tree. And the clown, the little boy saw the clown earlier. We talked and we said they would, they would mix. So the story with, with Teresa and I'm going to, I'm going to post the interview with, uh, with her and, and several other people. It's all the people that were involved with the case on our page so people can hear it for themselves. But the basics of it is um, Teresa had a son or a daughter that was pregnant. Mm -hmm. They were going the next day to get ultrasounds and stuff done. And she was at the house. She was unaware that there had been any baby situation at the house. This was not something that she knew about. She looks out to see a clown type figure. Very similar to the one that his son described in his encounter. And this clown was holding a baby up by one leg, was holding it, and the baby was dangling by one leg. And she said that when they went to their daughter's doctor appointment, they found that the, that the baby inside of her daughter was no longer alive. Oh, no. And that was something that she doesn't didn't know if that was a sign of this thing tormenting her of letting her know what the future was going to be or oh if it's gosh. just a coincidence. but And that's why Stephen didn't want to talk about it is because it's, you know, and he said she's doing, well, that was about five, that was 2006, I think, when that happened. So that's been some time ago. But he said, you know, she's doing well today. And he also said, obviously, in the interview that his wife is doing well today. So that's, that's positives uh, right there. But a very, very heart-wrenching story. And... um but that's kind of why we didn't really touch on what had happened there. But that's that's what that alluded to. It's mm, not good. Very so, sad. Well, Tracy, overall, what did you think about the situation that the Lachances had to live through at the Screaming I, House? I can't even. I don't know how in the world they ever, ever could have stood that. I just don't get it. And, you know, this is one of those stories like, you know, with Amityville, where it's like people were like, well, how do you stay in this? They didn't. They stayed 13 days, and well, they just, they I mean, just had I, to leave. I, they, they lasted longer than I would have, I'll tell you that much. But, yeah. But I, I understand, mean, you know, when you understand where they're coming from, and, you know, what do you do? But that's that's unfortunate. So, All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed the story. I hope you enjoyed talking to uh, or listening to Stephen Lachance, and uh, we appreciate him. We're, when he gets his episode out on the uh, Travel Channel, for the uh, Exorcism of Roland Doe special, we're going to have him back on again. So he's already mm-hmm. agreed to come back on again. So thank you guys so much. We appreciate it. Bye.